Welcome back to The Peripheral. I wanted to give everybody a quick update before we get into the episode. I know it's been a while since the last episode, but I will say that it hasn't been very easy lately. I've had to come to a hard realization that I have debilitating ADHD. I've been seeing multiple psychiatrists and therapists for the last year. And the first one gave me a diagnosis of anxiety. Now, anyone that knows me knows that that's wrong. But I listened to the experts. I didn't argue with a doctor who has way more education and way more knowledge about the subject. Although I do know myself and... I don't feel like I'm anxious about anything, and I'm fairly laid back about most things in my life, but I went with the program, and uh, I had eight months of horrible reactions to different medications, including Prozac, Wellbutrin, uh, Stratera, and before I get an email about any of those things, if they work for you, great, but... Prozac and Wellbutrin had the exact opposite intended effect on me. They call it a paradoxical effect and made me extremely hostile towards others. And it gave me very intrusive and violent thoughts. So that happened. In the last couple weeks, I finally found a psychiatrist that took me seriously. I did a lot of my own footwork and self-troubleshooting to figure out what my symptoms actually were, what my problems were, and ended up taking several assessments, all costing me hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, before I finally found a psychiatrist. As far as ADHD goes, most people just think of it as an attention disorder, but it's not just a lack of focus. It's the inability to complete simple tasks. But it is much, much more. There can be severe memory issues and rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which means you do not take criticism well. You will turn inward. You will amplify even the lightest criticism, which I know if I get constructive criticism or if somebody's coming from a good place, I don't take it to heart. I actually take it in stride and try to do better. But as we know, most of the internet doesn't come from a place of caring or understanding. Nuance is completely gone and people will infer what you meant and attack you for it, accuse you of being horrible things when they heard what they wanted to hear. I think... The worst of it, though, was when I struggled in my marriage and wasn't capable of hearing criticism without beating myself up and not even communicating or trying to fix the issue, just making the problem more about me than the other person. I've had tons of gains and losses, strikes and gutters, but ultimately years of frustration while I watched myself behave in this manner and not understanding why I was doing it. Honestly, something as simple as a diagnosis, a correct diagnosis, is a game changer. I would 
want everyone to know to not get discouraged, not give up. There are lots of wonderful doctors and psychiatrists out there. I just happened to get three in a row that did not care about my health or their jobs. So pretty stressful, but I think I've turned things around. You want to put faith in the system and sometimes you can feel betrayed. And that's kind of the theme of today's episode is betrayal. I speak with Ashley, who talks about meeting a special somebody in her life. And it wasn't just that they met and got along, but the universe, fate, destiny made their paths cross over and over. But who she thought was the love of her life would end up betraying her trust and hurting her in the worst possible way. And because of her feelings for him, she had a very confusing reaction and didn't quite understand what had happened. Just so people know, my guest does talk about sexual assault and rape. Well, my name is Ashley. I was probably around 23 when this situation occurred. I am 27 now. And what happened was that my on and off again boyfriend, he raped me on my birthday. And it was really an eye opener. And it was um, hard to get through. At first, it didn't really feel like anything had happened. And then the more time went on, I was like, wow, this was actually really not cool. How long had you been with him before this? At that time, I had met him when I was 17 years old. And we were together for like a few months in high school. But I was looking to move out. Um, I did make a timeline because it is hard to piece that all together. Um, well, we were introduced when I was 17 by a friend who said that he would be perfect for me. And he was in pretty much every aspect at that point in my life. Um, He was handsome. He was funny. And I fell head over heels in love with him. He um, lived a few towns away. So it was like a 45-minute drive from where I was. We didn't really get to see each other too often. But he would like come down with his uncle because his uncle worked relatively close to where I live. And he would just come over and hang out. We'd walk around town. He wasn't allowed at the house. My mom's very um, anti-guy at the house. (laughs) I lived on a mountain at the time. And yeah, I ended up losing my virginity to this guy. We had broken up because I was trying to move another way and he was kind of staying in the same place. And we both had different ideas of how to move on from that point. So I ended up moving out of my mom's house and I lived in this apartment. And about a year later, he contacted me again and I had broken up with the guy that I had been with because it just didn't work out and I wasn't close to him or anything. And I let this guy that I had met when I was 17 move in to my apartment with me. He had a separate room and it was clear at that point that that was going to be episodic in a way. Like 
it was he was always gonna be coming back and I felt kind of like a caretaker for him because no matter where he was from that point on if he needed help I would help him did he struggle a lot with things like being employed or anything like that at first he was very strong-willed he um would drive his bike to work from where we were and it was quite a bit of ways and it was a McDonald's so it wasn't like he was getting paid a bunch of money it was work and he was very strong-willed in that way then you slowly started seeing him like lose interest in that kind of thing his mother i know she had i believe it's bipolar disorder and a lot of the time she would just be doing nothing about a situation that she could be doing something about and i think that kind of pushed on to him oh i'm glad you mentioned his mom because the old adage is when you go in for therapy they say tell me about your mother or tell me about your parents you know yeah yeah and he was um he was a single child and his mom had always been struggling since at least i knew them and i know when i met them they were not in a good spot and they actually had stayed in that spot up until the end of this story <laughs> which was years later um they had no running water they lived in a house, but it was pretty much just like a shack at that point in the Adirondacks. So when I lived in my first apartment, he ended up staying in the spare bedroom and something had happened with his father down in Florida that he ended up having to go down there and his mom and him went for quite a few months and they ended up getting stuck down there because I think they were expecting to get something from the death of his father, but he had nothing but crap. So um they ended up getting stuck down there and they both were not in a good state of mind. They actually picked up the dog I have now down there. She was a stray. And I actually um like three or four years ago now, I was speaking to his mother and I was like, well I'd love to take her because she's just a sweet little thing. And I still have her to this day. So that's one good thing that came out of that. When he came back from Florida, he ended up taking all of his stuff and moving back in with his mother. And while he was in Florida, we were talking on the phone every single night. I would come home from work, I would call him, and we would be just speaking about life. And he pretty much told me that I was his sanity down there. And I believed him because it was not a good situation for him. At the time, I was just like living alone. I was working a 12-hour shift five days a week and then six-hour Saturdays. And it was just nice to have company, even though it was over the phone. You're always feeling this connection with him. You're always having him in your life. And it was when I met him, it was a very, very strong connection. Like I hate to say it, but even to this day, it's kind of hard to pull away from that. I haven't spoken to him in years now but it's like it still comes to mind you know and <laughs> he actually popped up on a, a timeline thing not too long ago so it's kind of funny how that works um when he came back he decided to move in with his mom and he told me that he was all of a sudden going to college which i thought was weird because i was like you have no money how are you going to afford college and it turned out that he had met this woman in Florida that was 
into his dad and then into him, which was kind of creepy. But she ended up having some money and she put him through one year of college. And when he was at college, I had ended up in another apartment and he asked me if I could go up and be with his mom on the weekends because she didn't really take care of herself. And I was like, yeah, I'll go up and hang out with her on the weekends. I'll bring my cat. So we ended up going up there every single weekend. And when he came back from college, and mind you, I went and visited him about every other weekend. <laughs> and he was four hours away from where I was. Um, so just still like had that connection. And like I was I was super, super deep in love with him. It was it was crazy <laughs> to me. And then like we'd always have the universe basically like I'd be thinking about him and then he'd pop up out of nowhere and just be like, hey, and I'd be like, oh, my God, how does that work? So just stuff like that. And it happened all the time. So when he came home from college, we ended up moving into his mom's together. And like I had said before, she had no running water. So we lived up there for a summer and I was like, I can't do this. And right now I'm bathing in a river or going to Planet Fitness after work, which I worked an hour away and taking a shower there. Everything else was fine. Like I loved, I kind of loved the primitive nature of living with them because <laughs> I'm a mountain girl all the way. It's a simpler life, right? <laughs> it, it was it was really simple. And like the no running water thing, that was a huge thing. Because you can imagine what kind of stuff, like their pipes were all moldy. And I was a microbiology technician later on in life. And <laughs> I just thinking back on all that, I was just like, ew. <laughs> that was not a good place to be. And I'll probably have side effects later on in life from that. I hope not, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fun during the time that we lived there. And then we ended up having to move out and it was like kind of a fight with him because I'm like, well, I can't stay here. So if you want to stay here, that's fine. But I'm not going to be doing the whole coming up here every weekend thing. I have to pay for an apartment. I have to work and I'm going to try and make this place my own. And you need running water. Yeah. 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 And, and winter was coming. It was, I'm not about to go and try and find somewhere to shower when it's zero below. You know, <laughs> we ended up moving into this apartment because he didn't want me to move without him. And it was either stay there with no running water or move to this new apartment. So obviously I chose move to the new place with running water. We can start new. We can have our own things. And his mom was kind of um, hard to deal with because she was so set in her ways. And she was also really mean to my cat, which I didn't like at all. And I didn't find that out until I pretended to go to work one day. Oh, God. And she was like screaming at him. Yeah, like he was in the window crying the day before. So we moved into this new place and he didn't get a job. I was working 40 plus hours a week and supporting both me and him. That really had a toll on me, as it would anyone, I assume. Every single time I brought up him 
getting a job, you would just brush it off like, oh, I'm not ready for it. And I'm like, look, I want you to be who you want to be and I want you to do what you want to do. But working is an essential thing. And you and I are supposed to be working together, not me working and then giving you all this money for your weed, for your friends, like going and picking up his friends from their houses and bringing them into this bunch of gas money that nobody had except for me. And I was paying for food. I was paying for everything. And there was nothing coming in. So it really it started taking its toll and we were getting into a lot of fights. And um, we ended up having like this conflict where he threw me. I'm, I'm relatively small and he was 6'2". And he ended up picking me up and throwing me across the room. And I ended up cutting my head open. And I was bleeding everywhere. And I didn't report him or anything for that. I just was like, okay. And I remember like patching myself up, cleaning up my own blood. I went to go find him because I was like, you are not about to get away with that and then just run away. So he was at our next door neighbors, like literally next door. We were in like a motel complex type thing. And he was right next door and I walk in (laughs) and I'm like kind of covered in blood looking like Carrie. And the the guy that lives there is just like, whoa. And he went over there and he just sat there and didn't tell this guy what had happened at all. And he's just hanging out. That's some serious compartmentalizing of his actions. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, I could read him like a book when he would start drinking and he was drinking at this point. And it was just like a roller coaster of emotions each time. So like we had such a deep connection and this happened and it kind of like broke things apart for me. And I started like really getting on his butt about like, look, that can't happen again. If it does happen again, I'm not going to be the only one involved in it. And the guy next door didn't say anything either. He was just like, whatever, it's their shit. He didn't want to get involved. Did your boyfriend acknowledge it at all? Did he give you any kind of response or? He ran off. (laughs) He ran off from the neighbor's house. And I guess he ended up sleeping in a hole somewhere. After he ran off from there, I like walked back home. I cleaned up my own blood and I just went to bed. I was like, whatever, if he's going to run off, he's going to run off. And he came back the next morning and he's like covered in dirt. And I'm like, what happened to you? And he's like, oh, I went and slept in a hole. And I'm like, you slept in a hole somewhere? Really? Like, that's how you handled this? And he's like, well, I deserved it. I'm just like, I'm not going to take your self-pity about it. Makes it about him, right? Yeah, it was always, literally always turned into being about him. So after this, I can't remember exactly like the chain of events from that. But I know at one point, we were still together at that point, and it had driven a wedge between us because obviously, like, I was scared if he got angry at that point. And I'm not, like, a scared person. I'm I'm small, but I'm very scrappy, and I'm very, like, strong-willed and stubborn. And I think the reason why I stayed after that was because I wasn't going to let that scare me, if that makes any sense. You're trying to be strong, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. But I ended up finding him a job. I ended up finding him a job. He did not find it himself. 
And I was the only one with a car and I was driving him to and from work and I was letting him take my car sometimes just so I wouldn't have to go driving or it wouldn't line up with my schedule at work. And he didn't have a license at the time. So like I was just like super nervous that he was going to crash and I'd have to be like, oh my God, try and figure out a way to say I was driving or I just was like anxious. But then we ended up breaking up at some point. We just got into like this really bad fight. And because he had work friends now, he decided to call one of them up and he was like, I'm having this guy come over and get my things. And I'm like, okay, it hurt. But I knew like it was better than staying in a situation that you felt stuck in. So he left. I ended up having to leave that apartment because there was a fleet infestation. I had to find a new place to live because the people that lived next door had brought in like a cat or something that had a bunch of fleas and it just riddled the whole complex with fleas. I actually ended up moving in with a friend and I left almost everything there. So I ended up leaving with my cat and I brought like my clothes with me. I think that was literally it. My clothes and everything else ended up staying. So it was kind of like a new beginning. It just sucks that he left all that for you to deal with. Because you've uprooted your life to be with this guy. You don't have anyone to help you. And then you're leaving all your stuff in this apartment. I'm sure you're losing your security deposit. Yeah. Just all these setbacks because of this guy and his bullshit. Yep. That was like an ongoing theme with him. And so I ended up moving in with this other guy that had an available room to stay in. And we ended up getting involved and we stayed together for a little bit, but that wasn't really a good situation either for me. So I was like, you know what? I got to move in somewhere where I can be alone. And I ended up finding a little cabin out in the middle of nowhere that was perfect for me. But I had lived in the cabin for a year or so and he came back into my life. He was like, hey, I need help. And it was just that he had no money. He had no place to go. I guess him and his mom were fighting. And she, again, she was always like, you can come live with me. <laughs> so he did a lot, but then it would be the same thing. Like he couldn't deal with how they were living and he would find me because he knows I'm on my feet. I've always taken care of myself. I've always had a good job, always excelled where I was. So he had my number that I had had since I was like 16. And he called me and he was like, hey, I need a place to go. Okay, yeah, you can come stay with me for a little bit. So he did. He stayed on the couch. We weren't together. I wasn't calling him like my boyfriend or anything. He had the same job that I had gotten him years before. The college thing, by the way, didn't end up working out because he went for a year and then he stopped going because the person that was paying for it told him it was either he stopped seeing me or he didn't get paid to go to college. And he ended up choosing me, not because it was me, but because that choice was so ridiculous to put somebody in. And he was like, look, I can't take your money like I did for a year. But if that's I need to be with you for you to pay for this, that's not okay. Which is weird because I was paying for everything and he, he found that that was okay, but I wasn't paying for college. That's way too much money. So I found, I found his logic in that weird. And just in general, like somebody's his benefactor, but kind of a relationship way. I don't know. It's odd. Yeah. She was, she was a strange woman. She was involved with his dad and then his dad died and she saw him as a little him and she jumped on it. It was really weird. 
So I let him stay with me. And he had had a truck at this point. It wasn't inspected. He didn't have insurance. So tires were literally so worn that the wires were bulging out of them. It just wasn't a safe truck to drive. But he's like, oh, it gets me from A to B. He kind of used that as an excuse to just go to work in my house. So he's like, oh, I can't go find a place like unless you bring me. So I ended up driving him around again. So my sister lives like down the road, my twin sister, and we ended up spending our birthday together. And it was our 23rd birthday, I believe. And I'm going to get like shit face drunk with you because that's awesome. And I'll just have this guy pick me up in a shitty little truck because I live down the road. So midnight comes along. He got out of work. He drove back up. I had to convince him to come pick me up because he was like, well, it's out of the way. I'm like, it's not out of the way. It's up the road. And I want to have these drinks with my sister. And I just, can you just like come pick me up? And he was like, all right, fine. So he picked me up. He brought me home. And we, I remember we hung out for a little bit on the couch. He started like coming on to me and I went with it. You know, I was drunk, whatever. But then it, it turned because we were getting into it. And then he like pinned me down onto the back of the couch. And I was like, Hey, you're hurting me. And he was like, Oh yeah. And he just started like getting super angry and he ended up raping me. And it was a super sobering experience. Like, I remember it. Um, you ever have those moments where you're you're drunk and something happens and just like instantly sober? At least you feel that way. Well, your body's going into a fight or flight. Your adrenaline is pumping and it sobers you the fuck up. Yeah. And I was. I was... I was feeling sober and I couldn't do anything because he was so much bigger than I was. And the way that he had me pinned, I couldn't move. And like, I was trying to like buck my head, I remember. And he was like moving out of the way, dodging it. And he ended up um, anally raping me, which was a very traumatic experience. And what was even worse was he slept next to me that night. And the next morning I woke up and I was bleeding. And I laughed about it and was like, I don't know, I didn't I didn't register really what had happened, I guess, at that point. Like I knew I was saying this hurts. Stop. Get off me. But the next morning, like when I woke up, I I was laughing and snuggling him, which is disgusting now looking back at it. Like all this is, it didn't register with me until a couple months later when he actually ended up getting pulled over. Um, and I had to go home without him that day. I think that was what it was. I had to go home without him that day. And I remember just sitting there like, I'm not going to put up with this bullshit. And I'm like, just sitting there thinking about it. And it finally clicked with me what had like actually happened that night. And that kind of pushed me over the edge. He was like, hey, can you come pick me up from work? So I picked him up from work and I brought him to his friend's house. And I told him, I was like, you can stay with him. Like I had his stuff in the car. I was like, you can stay with this friend. Um, I don't want you staying with me anymore. I'm done with this toxic cycle of bullshit and I need it to end. And in a way, it, it was really um, freeing because since I was 17 up until I was 23 or 24, I had just kept letting him come back and helping him out and just being there for him and loving him as like I was despite everything like I was super in love with this guy and that even hurt even more 
And I still have troubles with that even three, four years later with my boyfriend now, who's amazing. He's wonderful. He listens. He lets me get this kind of stuff off my mind. And he would never do something like that. And when I told him about this, he got like super angry. He's like, if I ever see this guy, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt him. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to hurt him. I want him to sit with what he's got. I believe in karma and karma definitely has gotten him because he's in the same exact spot he was and he hates himself. It registered with me like when that happened and I finally was like, okay, well, I'm not going to come pick you up or I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you come home with me. And then you'd call me and it's like, hey, can you pick me up from here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. And he's like, hey, can we talk? And I, I did. I went over and talked like an idiot. Didn't do anything. I just kind of was like, no, I just don't want to see you anymore. Like, And finally, I did. I came, came out with it. I'm like, you raped me. There's no going back from there. He definitely thought about it. And he definitely knew what he did was wrong because he had this whole comeback about it, saying about how that was his way of revenge on me because after we had lived in that apartment together I went and lived with somebody else and it ended up being with them and he was the one that left first of all but even if he didn't I I don't know in his mind he was tallying up all kinds of wrongs that you had done yeah and you know I mean obviously it's his perception it's the way he sees reality, which is pretty skewed, and I think we can understand understand why. I definitely think he gets some traits from his mother. They're undiagnosed, but just knowing him as a person and how fluctuating he can be, I definitely think he does get have some of those um, bipolar traits. And that's not an excuse. It's unfortunately for him, that's the truth of it. I mean, I'm sure... He did enough good things for you to be, I don't know, under his spell is the proper term, but just in this moment with this guy, this connection. And I'm glad that you just got out of it. Uh, you know, normally there's some other kind of trigger that stops somebody from continuing a relationship, uh, especially an abusive one. Uh, you know, sometimes it's, they did something that finally crossed the line. They cheated on them. They did something. Yeah. But with you, it was just you had to be away from him for just a day or two before you realized this isn't what I want. I am always moving forward. And I have excelled so much in not only my job field, but my mind, how I live. Like me going into that cabin and living by myself. That was like, I've lived by myself a lot, but I never was truly alone. And I took a lot of time to make that space my own. And for him to desecrate it like that was really what made me more uncomfortable. Like I was sitting there just thinking about this awful thing that had happened in my space, in my home. And it was truly my home. And I didn't let that ruin it. I, I thought about it and then I let it go. But sometimes I will sit here and think about that moment and just think about how disgusting it was. And it does, it does still hurt. It's, it still feels like a fresh wound every once in a while. And the reason why I wanted to do this episode with you is because I want, I'm sure that there's other people out there that have been in the same type of situation where they have a leech that doesn't want to let go. And he was charming. He was, 
you know, funny. He, I know he loved me in his way, but in the end, he loved himself more. I have so many friends that are with leeches and, you know, there's, there's a difference between somebody that's just struggling and can't work and somebody that you just know that this is their personality. This is how they are and they're never going to change. I mean, you want them to change. You always think you can change them, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that was like, especially younger, that was definitely younger me. I can, I can help this lost guy. And I think a lot of the reason why I felt that way was because I never had anybody. I grew up with five brothers and sisters. My parents were divorced. I had a, a mother, a stepfather, a dad, a stepmom, you know, like all that. And despite having all that as what should be a support net, I didn't have anybody. I was always by myself. And then I think that's another reason why I felt like such a strong connection with this guy is because he was also kind of a loner. Mm -hmm. And we connected on a different type of level than I've ever connected with anybody on. And he used it against me. And he still to this day tries to reach out to me and say that I'm like the only one for him. And a couple of years ago, actually, was like a huge leap forward for me because I had done all that when he when I told him like no you can't stay with me and stop giving him rides and stuff and I had to bring my cat to the vet and the sky was there and it was literally just so weird I was in the waiting room and the receptionist wasn't even at the desk she had just went behind the desk for something and this guy walks in and we used to joke about like how the universe would always bring us together and, and how like these little signs here and there would, would always like be the ones keeping us together and how we had like a wicked strong connection. And for him to walk in there like that with nobody else but me in his vet's office, I like looked at it and I'm just like, I literally out loud, I was just like, this is awkward. <laughs> he was like telling me about a situation his dog had gotten caught on a fence. And he brought him or to this vet so that they could like patch him up. And they told him he needed a thousand dollars just to get the dog back. And I had five hundred dollars in my purse. He's like looking at me. Jeez. I just brought my cat back into the exam room, told the doctor what I needed, went out, like nodded to him, and then I left, knowing damn well I could have helped. And I felt bad for the dog. And that's the fucked up part, is I did feel bad at the same time. But when I got home, I was like, that was a leap. And I'm never going to get caught in that cycle again. Mm -hmm. It's the, the weird hooks that they could put into you to, to drag you back. And that was eight years. That was eight years of being on and off with him. And when I was alone, like I would like just constantly think of him and thought he was the love of my life, really. And what was even more messed up was I hadn't told my family. I still to this day haven't told my family about this because I just know that they want to understand. Or be as supportive as, I don't know if they'd be supportive at all, honestly. Like, they're good people. They just don't get it. They're very closed off. I was going to say that I don't share a lot with my mother because whether it's something good I'm doing or something bad that has happened, it always turns into a negative. She always victim blames me or she will discredit whatever the good thing I'm doing is. and. It just, 
there's no understanding, there's no empathy, there's no trying to build me up. And I don't know if your family's like that or not, but that's what I felt like you were trying to say. She she doesn't knock me down at all. She does do the whole thing where if I'll bring something up from my childhood that was like really fucked up for her to do, she'll say it was a dream. Oh god. Like she won't take any accountability. And I'm like, I know that wasn't a dream. I didn't tell my family. And I hadn't told any of my friends, but my best friend contacted me one day and said, hey, No Name has gotten a hold of me and he told me some really messed up stuff. And I was like, well, what did he tell you? She told me that he said that he raped me. And I was like, what the fuck? So I ended up telling her what happened. And she's very, she's a very supportive person. I actually asked her to stop talking to him because even though she was friends with him separately, she was friends with him on her own. I was like, I wasn't like, how can you be friends with someone that opens up and tells you that they raped your best friend? But I was more along the lines of like, just please don't talk to him. Just like, if you care about me, I'm not trying to give you an ultimatum, but I really don't want him to have any contact with me. And he's trying to do that through you. Because he knew that you would tell me that he said that awful thing. And he's trying to get me to contact him. And I'm not going to. You figured it out. Yeah. (laughs) You figured out the narcissist controlling abusive personality. And you know that he's going to manipulate everyone around you to his own means. And he will try to use people to get at you or anyone else that he's taken advantage of or victimized. And I think he's fixated on you because you were the one that was kind to him for so long. He's he's contacted me in every way you could think possible. <laughs> he's tried to mail me stuff. He's emailed me. He's gotten through my Xbox Live account. I'm not going to change my ex. Like, I have a bunch of gamer points. I'm not about to, like, make a new one. <laughs> and I see that he has me as a friend on there. I'm not even going to block him. Like, yeah. I, that might be kind of petty. I don't know. But if you want to see what I'm up to in this aspect, like, if you want to see that I'm playing Star Wars, be my guest. Don't contact me, though, because I'm just going to ignore you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're blocking him, not responding to him. Just. You've moved on and I'm glad that you can see clearly that this is all a game to him. This is all him trying to manipulate. I mean, even when you saw him for the briefest moment at the vet, he took his opportunity to try to get something from you. He was definitely throwing a pity party. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, sorry about your dog, but I got to (laughs) go. That's everything he does. Yeah. That's his whole life. That's his whole personality. And he's never going to change. And um, I'm glad you see it clearly. Yeah. And it took a, well, honestly, it didn't take long to see that he was narcissistic. I kind of liked that about him at the time being younger. Mm -hmm. But then when it turned like violent and gross, it was he just took it way too far. Like, I don't mind if you're narcissistic or into yourself or like happy with who you are, but it can come off as confidence. Yeah. But it's, it's really not because you know, he hates himself. He does. But in the beginning, it comes off as confidence. Yeah. He was good looking. That's what he had going for him. Mm -hmm. And now he's not so good looking. So (laughs) he played on his looks for too long. Now karma's coming back at him. Mm -hmm. I just want to let women know that 
even if you are somebody's support system, you don't have to be if they're not giving back or being grateful. Like that's the least they could do is be grateful for you. And if they start going south, don't go south with them. Just move up. Be above that. Obviously, you went through a terrible betrayal from this guy. But did it take you some time to trust other boyfriends, other men you were around? Yeah, I'm still struggling with it. I've been with my current boyfriend now for, we're going on two years, and he's amazing. But there are things that I do still struggle with. Um, and I dated before him, and there's a lot of stuff I put up with that I shouldn't put up with. And I, I don't know whether to blame myself for that or that I was in that toxic cycle for so long that I just became immune to it. But this relationship, I really like, if something goes on, me and my boyfriend, he's, we work it out. We say if something is hurting us and we move past it together. And that's really what is needed in a relationship. It just, it can't be one sided, but there are definitely things that, that happen where I will revert back to my in a shell ways until we start calming down and talking it through. That's mm -hmm. what we know. And we all have our own way of dealing with things. And um, bad habits are hard to break when it comes to things like that. And I know that I, I lock people out and turn inward a lot when I'm struggling. And uh, sorry, you had to have this person in your life so long. I'm sure he'll try and come back at some point. <laughs> But honestly, at this point, I think I just laugh at him. Like I was telling my boyfriend, I was like, if I saw this guy on the side of the street with, with a bucket, I'd just drive by. Like I wouldn't even give him cash or anything. I would just, I'd be like, oh, that sucks. I know you're there because you put yourself there. It's cold, but that's how you have to be. Yeah. And somebody like him, there's always going to be one of him on the side of the street with a bucket with a problem. And sadly, there's always somebody that wants to help or thinks that they can fix that person. And they don't want to be fixed. They want to be a leech. That's totally true. They don't have to work for it themselves. Someone else can work for it for them. <laughs> I feel like when he decided to stop going to college and be with you, as much as that's an absurd ultimatum for him to get, being with you was the easier thing to do. He didn't have to try as hard. Absolutely. And he did like to say that he didn't go back because of me. And I was like, look, I'm not the one that said, hey, don't go back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can put that blame on me all you want, but that that was all you. And the fact that you took money from this person anyway is really weird. Like the whole situation was just really weird and it didn't throw up any red flags for you. <laughs> yeah. Because as soon as you told me about it, I was like, what? <laughs> People that have no self-worth, people that are just always in that crisis mode, they don't see that as weird. They just accept everything because they're takers and he was going to take from that woman regardless. Yeah. I'm a giver. Like I'm, I'm full-blown a caretaker and I don't have my own kids right now, but when I do, like I know I'm ready for that. And like it wasn't because I already dealt with it or anything. It's just like I've been that way my whole life, always, since I can remember. It's just ingrained in me. And unfortunately, he saw that and he took advantage of that. I hate to say I let him, but I did. I did for a while. I just want to say how I just started listening to the Peripheral podcast. And I really like how you go about dealing with these people's traumas that they've been through. 
You're a very good listener and you ask the right questions. I like to just hear from the person and let them tell it the way they want. This was very therapeutic. I do not go to therapy. <laughs> I don't like when people are writing notes about me <laughs> the whole time. And Yeah. And I, I've been to a lot of therapists in my life and I'll tell you what, I've stopped seeing most of them. I don't like most of them. There's only one that I that I like because she doesn't let you say bullshit. She cuts through it. She calls you out for it. <laughs> and um, she understands better than the most. But I, I'm glad it's therapeutic because there's been a lot of times where it's literally the first time somebody has said it out loud. I, I wonder how they get through that. <laughs> yeah. I know that I've gone on and told some of my stories and stuff and it's, it's scary so yeah it is <laughs>